everyone. This is Pranam Ben, founder and CEO of The Garage, and welcome to Ben's Den. A very special podcast, something that's very special for me, is to talk to other industry experts and learn from them and understand how we can collaborate to change healthcare for good. And today's guest and topic is very exciting for me. The guest is Himadri Sarkar, who is Executive Vice President and Head of Consulting for Teleperformance, a global company. And the topic today is about the top five predictions for 2023 from his point of view. So with that, let's get into it. Himadri, welcome. Thank you, Pranam. Thanks for this opportunity. Why don't we start with you giving, a, giving our audience an intro about you and teleperformance? Sure, sure, Pranam. Uh, my pleasure. Uh, my name is Himadri, as you uh, introduced me. Uh, I've been with teleperformance for almost uh, two and a half years now. Um, you know, I, I globally head consulting and analytics uh, for, for teleperformance. Uh, prior to teleperformance, I spent about 10 years with uh, Cognizant doing business and technology consulting. And uh, prior to my consulting career with Cognizant, I, I used to work in the industry. Uh, so I worked for the banking, financial services and insurance, um, telco and, and hospitality. Uh, and uh, it's, it's, it's truly been a pleasure to, to be looking at how we can drive, uh, you know, fair patient provider engagement with some of the conversations that you and I have had in the past too. And, and really, really looking forward to, you know, discussing about how we can uh, drive 2023 in terms of all of those, uh, you know, constituents in the healthcare ecosystem. Awesome. Thank you so much for that, Himadri. And let's get into it. Uh, very exciting topic, something that seems to be a recurring topic of discussion to, in December of every year, right? Um, but let's, let's, let's dig in and look at what are, from your perspective, right, what are the five trends that you think will influence healthcare as an industry at large in 2023? And is there any tailwind from 2022 that we can leverage as we progress as a community, as an industry into 2023? Very curious to hear your thoughts. You know, it's very interesting that you, uh, you brought the perspective of the tailwind into perspective. Uh, because uh, you know, the, probably the first thing that I was thinking about is uh, the the growing emergence of remote healthcare, mm. uh, and and in the in in the sense, you know, telehealth, virtual hospitals, uh, because and and this is just not from 2022. This is you know pretty much from the COVID and the post uh, you know pandemic era, where as as opposed to more in person visits. Uh, you know, more and more emergence of video calling is coming into play. And and just not in the, you know, developed nations, but in also in developing economies like the, uh, like, you know, a few of the countries in Asia Pacific, where with the emergence of 5G, you know, video calling is is becoming uh, a reality. So, you know, the, the, the interesting aspect of the interesting world that we live in is with so many geopolitical, macro and microeconomic factors, one industry's growth and prominence is, is influenced by the other. You know, in, in this example, it was healthcare and telco. Um, I think the next, uh, and again, in no order of uh, preference, sure. I think the next, sure. uh, um, you know, one of the trends that I'm uh, seeing in healthcare in 2023 is the fact that, um, I think care coordination and patient engagement uh, would would uh, need to grow through some uh, paradigms. Yeah. And when I say paradigms, I essentially mean how we can drive more proactive engagement uh, with with patients. 
specifically in the case of you know how we administer treatment and drugs and and you know though this is a very social and emotional need the best part is that it can be driven through a combination of analytics and technology and the way i look at it is uh, specifically with you know iot now you know in the health healthcare system now it's become iot because it's internet of health things and and the best part about internet of health things is it just doesn't uh, give you the ability to be able to tracking data points but more importantly it almost works on the same principle of edge computing so mm-hmm. iot has in the health healthcare system has become those edge devices uh, which when kind of supported with different kinds of pattern recognition algorithms it helps you to almost predict that you know whether a patient is at the risk of going into a depression or not by very clearly uh, you know extracting metadata from both mental and health indicators such as you know your your activity levels your sleep patterns your heart rate so on and so forth now the only perspective i have on that uh, what i wanted to kind of like uh, get your point of view as well himadri is obviously the remote uh, care management if you will right has seen an uptick during pandemic post pandemic and we are experiencing that as well one of the challenges we see is the patient's adherence to the process see there's one thing for us to come at it as solution providers and the ecosystem the other is how the consumer or the patient you know participates in it embraces the opportunity and most importantly is compliant with it right what's your point of view on how can we empower patient adherence when it comes to remote monitoring what's what's your you know uh, take on that i think if you are able to identify uh, you know the different virtual touch points uh, mm-hmm. in a in a patient and member journey and be able to almost track them through uh, you know edge devices like i was saying earlier sure. then then many a times uh, you know without really putting human effort first with technology we are almost able to get some kind of an analysis as to what is the adherence versus non adherence rate mm-hmm. makes sense and for the ones that are non adherence then we kind of first uh, send some kind of alerts and notifications as reminders for someone who might have genuinely forgotten but even if those even if we don't see the adherence coming up with those initial alerts and notifications which could be you know either on the edge device or through a text message or you know some some similar kind of a notification that would then kind of create a red alert for the kind of uh, uh, say non clinical nurses who might be uh, overseeing this kind of a uh, uh, you know orchestration effort that's when you know further investigation needs to be done and and i think a lot of organizations are working in that direction where if a response is not coming in from a patient then who is the next best to contact so it's 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 almost like that kind of an ecosystem where then you not only track adherence but you also track the reasons of non adherence and many a times if it is some some kind of a situation where a patient needs immediate assistance then you know how do we mobilize those resources towards uh, a proactive assistance as opposed to a reactive one I I love the point of view Madhuri just to look at a support circle around the patient with his family friends or whatever it could be technical non technical but it's amazing to have the radar around the patient 
especially for something that's remote monitoring. You know, that's that's a great perspective. What's next? I'm curious. Absolutely. In fact, uh, you know, one of the things that I keep reading about is uh, whenever we talk about the healthcare ecosystem in the continuum, we speak about the providers, the the, the payers, right. uh, the patients, the you know the DMEs, the life sciences firm. But one of the facts that we tend to miss out on, like you said, is the family and the friend support, and 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 that probably has become all the more important and has gained prominence in the last two to three years, where we realize that you know if you know, for the ones who probably were not privileged to have that support, um, it, it was it was really very trying for them uh, in in you know in isolation. It it, it makes complete sense, Imadi. It makes complete sense. What's next? Uh, uh, the, the next one is is a is an important one, which I which I personally know you are very passionate about as well. That uh, when it comes to healthcare, specifically risk and performance management, uh, tends to be very very important. And risk and performance management could mean many things in many different parts of the healthcare ecosystem. But one of the things that I see as as a perennial problem, and this is more in relation to revenue leakage or top line, is the fact that, you know, though claims claims processing, adjudication and disbursements have gone through a lot of technology advancements, but still prior authorization seems to be you know a very yeah. very big challenge yeah and not not so much about you know independent individuals or independent parties failure it is just the fact that the nature of you know diseases is also proliferating at a very fast pace so many yeah. many a times you know the guidelines in terms of uh, icd11 which are published they are not able to catch up with the different permutations and combinations that could come with with diseases, as a result of which, you know, when when prior authorization is seeked for, maybe it is a small percentage on which there are challenges with prior authorization. But even for those small small percentages, if it's not addressed in a orchestrated process fashion, then it leads to misquotes. And when it now it's almost snowball effect. Once misquotes happen. Uh, then misquotes can lead to overpayments or underpayments. And like I said, you know, overpayments or underpayments could lead to revenue leakage. But more importantly, it somewhere leads to uh, dissatisfaction and low star ratings. When when low star ratings happen, then that's almost kind of the rating that one would look at during the you know annual enrollment period. And if it is anywhere less than four, then right. you know those many new sales would get impacted so it's almost risk and so we always looked at risk and performance management as an internal intrinsic factor somewhere down in the value chain but if that is not adhered to it shows that how it can have an upst- upstream kind of an impact right at the point of you know new customer acquisition or renewals of existing members absolutely in fact you know, you talked about how we are focused on this particular aspect of the healthcare change. And for us, the way, at least the way we rationalize with it is in value-based care, in the realm of value-based care, right? In many ways, your inputs are driven by your outputs. You understand what I'm saying? So the outcomes are cycling back in a feedback loop to redefine your input variables. So it becomes all the more critical for you to have a pulse on your overall risk and performance management across the network. So absolutely, thank you so much for you know throwing some light on that from your perspective. 
Thank really? you. No, my, my, my pleasure. My pleasure. And I think, you know, we are, we are talking about some interesting things. The, the fourth trend that kind of comes to my mind in that, in that sequence is uh, the need for personalized healthcare. Now, if, if you really see in the, you know, the U.S. market where, where healthcare kind of has a very dominant part of uh, or dominant portion of, uh, you know, the U.S. GDP, um, it has mostly been a one-size-fits-all approach. Mm. Uh, as a result of which, you know, what, what most of us experience is, is, is cold care as opposed to warm care, right? And again, you know, I'm I'm bringing the warmth or the emotional part right. in in right. healthcare because beyond that, you know, the treatment and the medicines or the medication are not as important as as compared to how you make patients feel during that process of you know care. And and how do we drive personalized healthcare at scale? Is is again one of the things that can be uh, managed or enabled to a great extent. With uh, with technology and analytics, which is if you are able to use a lot of metadata, a lot of interactions and touch points, if we make those digital, uh, one of the digital touch touch points could be, for example, EHRs. You know, EHRs in terms of the multiple different uh, places, the lab reports, the 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 the, the primary care physician uh, reports, you know, so on and so forth, uh, past history. If we if we triangulate all those data points, and if we then do member and patient segmentation by health journey, then we are able to kind of now create curated workflows that has a very differentiated interaction cadence in terms of the level of empathy, the level of uh, um, uh, the, the level of due diligence that needs to be shown based on where where in which stage of the health journey is a member on so if if someone is you know trying to reach out to a provider on a pair for a step throat that's a very different treatment as opposed to someone who probably has been diagnosed with terminal illness or terminal disease right right uh, and 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 outside healthcare we've always had this concept i mean if you think about banking financial services insurance retail um We've always spoke about customer friction, you know, as as one of the key metrics to be looked upon, right? But we probably haven't given so much of thought in terms of the patient friction, and that too friction of of an individual when they are not enjoying the best of this their selves. Yeah. Right. So, so I think I think friction and you know how we can drive that personalization. Um, through through member patient segmentation, I think to me uh, will will emerge to be very very important and 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 significant, and I think that would probably one of the value differentiators that you know either government or uh, privatized providers and payers would be able to augment in their uh, in the experience that they provide to their to their members or to their patients. I think personalized medicine, from my perspective, uh, Madhuri, is obviously has been a goal for us as an industry, right? And we've taken our time to kind of figure out how to get there, right? I think there's alignment that needs to happen top down before you can get to the point. The thing that I think about is when you say anything is personalized, right? For Himadri or for Pranam, it's personalized when I feel it's my own, 
Right, that's when I have this notion of personalization, when it is something that I feel like it's my own, right? And I feel healthcare is not there. Mm. Our consumers don't feel like their healthcare experience is their own. It is not part of their daily life. It is a disconnected experience. It's a difficult experience for most consumers in the country, right? And I'm of the belief that technology and data can weave it into that daily life experience for uh, consumers, you know? So we can come at it top down, align all constituents, payers, providers, pharma, all these constituents, but unless we empower that sense of, this is something that I own, it's part of my daily life, I think we'll always be challenged with uh, leveraging personalized medicine. Absolutely, absolutely. And in fact, uh, you know, I, I know we are talking about personalization more from a patient standpoint, but even when, you know, the enrollment season kicks off, mm. if based on your health history and your yeah. usage pattern, you are given a policy which just doesn't follow a 80-20 or a 90-10 kind of a, uh, you know, model, uh, yeah. model, but it kind of tells you that, hey, you know what, even if it is 80-20, there are these certain things which you are more covered for because you have a higher usage as, as opposed to the others, right? right. I mean, similarly, I'm, I'm also reading about you know, as an analogy, I'm reading about some of the uh, banking institutions who are looking at uh, credit card history patterns and then uh, incentivizing customers to say that, hey, you know what, we've studied your pattern. Maybe you don't require 5% cashback on gas because you are mostly living in the city and you use an Uber. You probably right. don't even own a vehicle. So right. that, that right. incentive does not uh, you know, mean anything to you. Maybe we'll give you some other incentive that means more to you. Maybe maybe grocery shopping, maybe an event night, which is something that you li like to go for in New York City. So I think I think those are was the intention not there or for healthcare or banking financial services. I would probably say that the intention was there for the right. most part, but it was difficult to do it at scale just because firstly we did not have the technology and the data enablement to support it at scale. Now that we have that, that's what is the is is the means to the end in my opinion i think i think what i'm hearing from you himadri is that i think personalization is best when it's served and that in turn will empower ownership empower that enablement at the consumer level and that makes complete sense and you're absolutely right i think in today's healthcare we at least have the data to get that journey going. Uh, previously, there was a lack of data. Data was very disjointed in our world. But today, at least we know where to go looking for data that we need to enable that kind of a personalized, personalized experience. Absolutely. And I think this is where, you know, this is where artificial intelligence and the natural intelligence of humans would act as a force multiplier. Right. Because, because while we will be able to do a lot of data synthesis through, uh, you know, artificial intelligence and other machine learning algorithms, but then there also has to be a practical significance attached to it. You know, most of the times the data might not be congruent with what, uh, you know, the, the real needs are. And there could be a lot of false positives and false negatives that can only be eliminated uh, when that human significance is added. Hence, you know, when, when I when I come across, you know, some one of the um, one of the age old questions, which is, will AI replace humans? I think. You know, AI is probably even more making humans important uh, 
because because AI in itself is never the magic. It's never the secret sauce. It's the humans that add to that secret sauce and make the recipe very, very uh, charming and appealing. If my math is right, we have spoken about four trends. We we still okay. have yeah, you got one more. <laughs> you got one more, yeah. <laughs> we can keep going. I know you and I will probably go to the hundred top hundred trends, but let's keep exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> it, it, it was so hard for me to you know jot down like five things because because there's just so much happening so much in the happening. healthcare world. I mean, we are truly yeah. uh, living in a great great time. So talking about the fifth one. Now this is a really interesting one, and this is more about retail healthcare. And which is where I think I was reading, a, I think it was Forrester or Gartner, where it said that the healthcare business that is driven through retail is going to almost double up in 2023 as, uh, as opposed to maybe a cumulative last two or three years. The likes of, say, Walmart, CVS, Amazon. Now, they are offering, um, you know, blood tests, vaccinations, also, I guess, medical checkups which traditionally were kind of done by hospitals or, you know, primary care physicians or, so I think, so retail healthcare becomes now another sector as a, as a backend system of record that tends to now uh, get added into, into the healthcare ecosystem. We've never kind of traditionally looked at these kind of organizations or retail industry in the healthcare continuum. Now, you know, where I was, I mean, the reason I picked up these five uh, to speak about as the top five trends is because I felt that, you know, though there is some bit of heterogeneity or, or difference in each one of these five, there is also a lot of commonality or homogeneity in the way these five are emerging. And I think the common theme that kind of connects all these five is the fact that all of these five are demanding for a, a data-driven digital first-door experience. And that can only be you know, brought about by kind of a SaaS-based platform. And when I talk about a SaaS-based platform, I think it's a it's a it's a perfect marriage or a blend or a confluence of the three Ds. Now, the first D is the digital. The second D is the data, and the third D is the domain. Right? Would you like to you know share your own thoughts? I know, I mean, you're you're probably one of the fastest emerging SaaS-based platforms. I mean, what are your thoughts in terms of how it brings all together? Look, you're you're absolutely right, Imadri. I think the opportunity we have here in healthcare is probably been the single greatest opportunity for technology and data to have an impact on people and planet. I start at that level, you know, because healthcare is about saving lives. It's about improving quality of life. You know, nothing can be more, you know, impactful globally, right? And the proliferation of data, especially with the challenges we've had in healthcare for the past few decades, allows us to empower a digital first data-first, human-centric approach to changing healthcare. You can never take the human element out of the equation. Healthcare is not something that is going to be, um, it's not going to be run by machines, influenced by machines. You're going to have that human component for our lifetime and beyond, right? So, but you, can, you have the opportunity with digital tech and data to scale and empower care everywhere to make it affordable and accessible and solve some of the underlying issues we have in healthcare around equity. And if you think about it, right, if you try to see what we've been trying to solve, even with EHRs, right, we were trying to solve for clinical interventions. We were trying to solve for reacting to sickness, right? But that only, if you look at the entire community uh, population uh, index, 
that only solves for less than 20% of your overall health of populations. You know, the others are social in nature, lifestyle, uh, genetic, uh, political, educational, all kinds of factors, structural elements come into the picture that now when you're having a community facing data first, digital first approach, and by like you said, getting into that daily behavior, the daily life of the patient, you can keep a pulse. And that will, I believe, will bring in real change in healthcare over the next uh, coming year. So you're absolutely right. I think there's so many good things happening in the industry. I think there are so many silver linings from the pandemic as well that we as an industry can leverage, learn from. And to me, the key is to orchestrate an ecosystem that collaborates with each other, putting the patient in the driver's seat. And if you notice, the one theme I saw in all your predictions was everything was about the patient. Everything pointed to consumerism. Everything pointed to enabling change from where the patient is, not from where the payer is or the provider is. And I think that's the right way to come at it. Awesome, Mother. Thank you so much. I mean, we learned a lot. You've been gracious with your time, and it was a lot of fun. I look forward to uh, keeping in touch with you. But before I let you go, I have a fun question for you. Sure. I'm, I'm going to assume you're a soccer fan, that you watch, you've been watching the World Cup soccer, right? And I know the final is coming up on Sunday. What's your prediction? Let's predict the soccer final. I... <laughs> I probably should hold my prediction to myself because, uh, you know, a lot of people are going to hear this and I don't want to take any one side. But I would probably say that, uh, you know, I have my bets on both uh, this time because this time the uh, the World Cup, you know, unlike other years, has uh, has shown very different. I mean, most some of my predictions have not really come true, uh, what, what I was anticipating. Uh, I would just say that, you know, may, may the best team win. Got it. Um, and uh, and the one who doesn't win would still be you know a winner in my regard because you know it's it's been a long journey for them to exactly. be even able to come to the finals. And it's, that's one sport that has captivated the global attention and global passion. You know, so it should be really interesting. Like you rightly said, it doesn't matter who wins, everybody wins. I mean, the sport in itself has you know driven so much of uh, so much of tourism. I mean, like, you know, we started the conversation by saying that, you know, today we live in a world where one industry influences everyone, every other Absolutely. industry. Absolutely. And, and sport as an industry has influenced so many, uh, you know, others. And think about it, right? There were people that were asking me, where is Qatar? Who is Qatar? Which court country is Qatar? You know, so the fact that uh, the Qatar has been put on, a map, on the map, I think it will help their economic growth. It will lead to great healthcare initiatives in Qatar as well. So yeah. looking forward to a lot of good things from it. Thank you so much, Madhuri. Really appreciate it. Um, and we'll wind up uh, with this episode. But before we wind up, just want to uh, thank you so much for being part of Ben's 10. Thank you, Madhuri. Appreciate it. Thank you, Pranam. Bye. If you like this episode, support us and subscribe to Ben's 10 on all streaming platforms. And don't forget to follow The Garage on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Thank you. Bye.